Welcome one and all to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. This week we welcome back one of our regular contributors, the encyclopedic and telefact-filled mind that belongs to Steve Hatcher. Fresh from his Instagram trending appearance on The Chase, in which he managed to put that mountain of knowledge to some very profitable use, and about which we hope he'll return to tell us all about another time. Recently, Steve has been very busy coordinating various conventions, wrangling meetings for the Derbyshire Hoovers, and contributing to and editing several publications throughout many aspects of television fandom, so I feel very privileged that he's taken some time out of his ridiculously busy schedule to talk to us today. Steve suggested that we might want to talk about the movie spin-offs and adaptations of television series that used to feature prominently in these cinemas in the 50s, 60s and 70s, several of which proved to be very successful and some of which were decidedly less so. Some of these films have gone on to become the more familiar versions of series that no longer seem to get much airtime, simply through their regular appearances on television over the years and decades since they were made, and for many viewers they might even have become the definitive versions of a whole host of television favourites. Often these films were adaptations of much-loved sitcoms, but also several drama series were deemed worthy of being transferred to the big screen in colour, sometimes featuring the original television cast and sometimes bearing little relationship whatsoever with the source material. Steve has picked out five dramas, as well as five sitcoms, which we're going to talk about some other time, for us to talk about as specifically British examples that demonstrate the various ways in which these adaptations were achieved by the filmmakers of those eras. And whilst our conversation might touch upon a few others that spring to mind, it's those five films that we are mostly going to focus our attention on. So sit back as we mull over the most exciting, colourful eccentricities of Doctor Who and the Daleks, the colourfully dark and compelling reimagining of Quatermass and the Pit in the London underground station at Hobbs End, the strangely detached environmental disaster that prompts the Doomwatch team to not exactly leap into action themselves, but instead nominate a proxy, the government assassin Callan somehow managing to revisit his own past, and the bizarre, much truncated, late 1990s reinvention of John Steed and Mrs Emma Peel in The Avengers. We might not get the time to cover all of them in any great depth, so there'll be little in the way of my usual vision on sound nonsenses of the kind that point out details like the future Rog Blake turning up working at Hobbs End that I might usually start to weave the interconnectedness of all things around to intrigue you with, especially as one of those five films does actually obliquely name-check this very show. But I hope you'll enjoy this quick time trip through some great TV shows dressed up in their best clothes for their various trips to the Roxy and the Regal. And once we've got back to base, Steve will return in a few weeks' time for a follow-up in which we chat in very much the same way about those sitcoms. So let's crank up our Fab Radio International time engines and slip across the time tracks to a whole universe of alternate realities. Steve. Hello Martin, how are you? Yes, I'm good, I'm good. Today we are going to talk a little bit about tie-in movies, adaptation movies, television as cinema, or cinema as television, I suppose, depending which way around uh, you want to think about uh, it. And you've selected a, a selection of uh, your favourite movie adaptations of TV shows, and uh, we're going to discuss them a bit. Well, to be clear, they're not entirely always my favourites. Some of them, there's right. one in particular I've picked, which which I think is a, a major letdown as well. Well, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're sort of examples of the genre. And we're, we're moving away from the comfort area a bit, aren't we? Because normally we talk about TV and so on, but mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're moving on to film today well, but with, a, with a definite <laughs> cinema flavour to it. Uh, it's TV all television, flavor. really. It's, it's a con- All our conversations can be triggered or prompted by the idea of television. We can go off and talk yeah. about, you know, astronomy if you want i don't mind Brilliant. we'll <laughs> but we'll certainly this week we'll talk a little bit about cinema 
Well, it's a good time to talk about it, isn't it? Because mm. I mean, if you look at the what's on cinema listings at the moment, mm. the, one of the biggest films, probably the biggest film at the cinemas at the moment, is the second Downton Abbey film. Yes, that's true. Yes. Um, well, yes. But there's been an awful <laughs> lot of... I, I actually start to think that there's so few ideas now. There's been a lot of trawling, mm. certainly 60s mm. television, for for cinema releases for they've, they've, they've come back into vogue a bit haven't they because i mean in recent years we've had things like uh, catherine tate's uh, nan movie mm. where she samples indian bread of various sorts then uh, and we're, a few years ago with the ab fab movie and mm. alan partridge alpha papa mm. and that sort of thing yeah. so it's it's come back in vogue a bit but the truth of the matter is it never really went away i mean you can mm. find examples right the way through from the late 50s yes uh well early 50s of um films based on tv shows mm. i mean there were certain eras where it became very much the thing yeah and others where it faded a bit and, and we went through a fadey bit in the 80s and then it came back again in the late 90s and then went away again but there's always been every so often a tv based film hollywood seemed to be basically raiding the entire back catalogue at the mm. moment you've got that same mm. mission impossible and Star Trek, Uncle and yeah. Star Trek and, and Starsky and Hutch and, and all sorts of yeah. Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, everything that seems to have been a really hit series in the 60s or 70s yeah. seems to have been absolutely plundered to make yeah. a not great movie version. And not, well, there, there you've hit upon it, haven't you? That, that very often these films are disappointments. Mm. And, and if you look at things like Steve Martin's version of Sergeant Bilko, oh, God, yes. it's horrific. And, and it just shows you how good Phil Silvers was. To be clear, I've stayed away from American TV yeah. shows. Well, so I've not talked about Star Trek or The X-Files or any of those no. particular well, there's things. A, there's a sort of sense of branding, isn't there? I mean, you've got an inbuilt mm. audience because you've got a familiar name. And that is sort of supposed to guarantee yeah. the audience. And yet sometimes they make a really, really bad movie mm. <laughs> that doesn't please anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can ask why they, they make these adaptations of TV shows. And I think you've hit on it a bit that you've got a, a ready-made audience there yeah. that during the heyday of these films in the early seventies, mm. um, they were summer filler films. They were put mm. out during the summer. They were, quite often watched by people on holiday. They were films that covered subjects and characters and that that people were already familiar with. So it was a nice, easy sell. Come and see your favourite, usually sitcom characters mm. in a film. A wet Weekend so in Margate. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Ab go absolutely. to the cinema and they've Absol got Terry and Bob or whoever. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's an odd sort of thing because... In those days when TV was considered a bit ephemeral yes. and, you know, it, it came on your TV one night and then you never, ever saw that again, mm. that in some ways the movie version was more permanent. It was a, a permanent record of what yes. that show was. And, and indeed, and yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you could, well, you sort of could, because in those days as well, of course, films came back to the cinema. Mm. There was the second runs, wasn't yeah. there? That, that you'd, you'd see a film when it was new, and then maybe in two or three years, it came back again, maybe in a double bill with another one. So, um, so, so, so it was more. It was a permanent record, and and that in some cases is how it's it's turned out. Oddly enough, mm. for example, the um, one of the very earliest TV tie-in films is 1955's The Grove Family which was based on a soap opera, oddly enough, mm. the, the BBC's first TV soap opera, yeah. written by the father and a brother of John Pertwee, uh, Roland <laughs> and Michael Pertwee, oddly enough. And, um, yeah, that, that survives the film, of mm. course, because films do tend to survive, um, for the most part. Yes, yeah, some yeah. get lost, but... Whereas there's only three episodes of that sitcom have wow. survived still. So that in many ways, is the representation of that series that, that we have left. They came to prominence in that time, and we said 1955, The Grove Family. That's just about the earliest of... Um, yeah, in, in the previous decade, in the, the, the 40s and early 50s, mm. when radio was the primary broadcast medium, there was a bit of a spate of films based on radio shows, popular radio shows. Mm. You had things like, probably one of the first of those would have been The Bandwagon, based on the, right. the, the Arthur Askey uh, series, radio series. There was It's That Man Again in 1942. Bandwagon was 40. You had the three uh, Hammer Dick Barton films between 1948 and 50, which was sort of how Hammer got started. Uh, you'd got Life with the Lions, two films there, 54 to 55. And then the, the, there's four Paul Temple films as well, which I think we can probably put in this category as well, between but 46 and 52 things like radio fun i mean because there were yeah. caricatures and you know, the actual radio stars were visually very 
well known to us. They were, yeah. That yeah. Look, yeah. So I suppose it's a natural progression, isn't it, to make a movie? You know, yeah. you say you've got a guaranteed radio audience, and maybe in those days it was also ooh, wonder what they look like. And and then a generation later, you'd, you'd again you'd got that a similar sort of thing. In, in those days, you were saying we've heard them now let's look at them mm. and then in the 60s you had got you've seen them in black and white now let's see them in color <laughs> which the was big the big screen. selling point white yeah, on the big screen. Screen. yeah feel the heat of their ray guns i mean this was this was the selling point of the, the first dalek movie wasn't Indeed, it yes. daleks in color and uh, which we'll talk about uh, later uh, later on um, yeah so um, early tv film adaptations after the spate of radio ones mm. Well, we mentioned the Grove family in 55. Also mm. in 55, on television, you had the, the, the Quatermass experiment, mm. uh, which was then turned into a uh, big one. That was in 53 on television. Mm. Uh, it was then filmed in 55. One the, the television series, the second serial was on the television. It's about, they're about absolutely, aren't they? yes, Absolutely. So. And then the film of Quatermass 2 came in 57. Those two films really changed Hammer that yes. we mentioned that done the um, Dick Barton series. Mm prior to that but this set them on the path of horror the, mm. the, the Christmas is neither of them are really horror films mm. but they're horror science fictions mm. and that set them thinking oh Michael Carrera's thinking oh there's a bit of uh, there's, uh, there's some mileage in this. <laughs> uh, well yes uh, exactly and then when Nigel Neal the writer of Quatermass said um when they said to him, can we do another uh, Quatermass film, please, Mr. Neil? And he said, not likely, after the yeah. mess you've made of the first two. <laughs> they made X the Unknown, which is basically Quatermass in all but name, with a, with a different character. So Quatermass, you've got In for Trouble, the Larkins uh, film, based on mm -hmm. a popular sitcom in 1960. I think that's the first one made. Oh, no, there isn't. It's not the first one made from a, a sitcom. Before that, you'd got I Only Asked, oh, made in okay. 1958, based on the army game. Right. Very popular show of the time. And also in 1960, you'd got Bottoms Up, based on Wacko, starring Jimmy Edwards, which was about uh, a school teacher thrashing children. Ah, fair um, enough. <laughs> you probably possibly wouldn't make that these days. Certainly, you can't see the pitch meeting for that one, can you? <laughs> no, it would be difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah. The Trollenberg Tower in 1958, based on a lost 1956 ITV series. Yeah. So, so you've got a little spate of them in the 50s. And then, that, as I say, it carried on to a degree through the, the mm. 60s and then really hit its stride in the early 70s. It's interesting, when, when you look through the list of what was made and what wasn't made, mm. that it's overwhelmingly sitcoms, overwhelmingly mm. comedy programs. There are a few dramas, and like I say, we've concentrated on the dramas today and then come mm. back to the sitcoms next time. time. Yep. But yeah, it, it is overwhelmingly those nice and easy cells. Any reason for that? Steptoe and Son popular, I suppose? I mean, I yeah. mean, there were a couple of Tony Hancock movies in the 60s, weren't there, which weren't I, I anything think, to do with the TV show. No, and, and I think that's it. I think that there was a script produced by Golden Simpson mm. for uh, a film very much based on mm. the, the TV show, mm. but that didn't come to anything and of course mm. uh, Hancock dropped them. I think we need to make a distinction though between films based on TV shows mm. and films with TV actors in it. Ah, um, yes. Either individual actors or troops mm. of actors. Mm. So for example I've not considered Down Among the Z-Men which, which actually was put out in some areas as the Goon Show movie. Yeah. But was nothing like the Goon Show whatsoever. It was, no. it was and also Python. Um when we come to do the comedies, yeah. I've picked a Python film, but I've not picked either of my favourite Python <laughs> films or indeed any of the three most successful Python films. I've yeah. I've picked possibly the least successful Python film because it's an adaptation of the T V show. I've been quite strict with myself about that. No, no, that's uh, fine. Well, no, because you, you criterion, could... criterion, that's good. You could pick almost anything, couldn't you, if you mm. said, oh, well, uh, that's got such and such in no. it who was on the telly. Yeah, and happens to have been written by yeah. the same people who wrote it. But when it comes to specifically something that was made for television and then remade as a film... Yes, or, or that's fair game. ...remade, fair game. or sometimes using the same storyline, but sometimes yeah, a new yeah. story using those characters. There's that, again, is an interesting uh, distinction, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's exactly what we've got those, at least two different sorts. We've got mm -hmm. the remakes of TV shows, mm -hmm. and we've got the the new story featuring mm -hmm. those characters. I'm particularly thinking of um, the Sweeney films. Yes. 
which I've not included actually because no. I mean, the Sweeney has never been a favourite of mine to be no. fair but it was a successful TV show and then they made if you like two new episodes and they're very different actually from I actually quite enjoyed the two Sweeney films I saw them yeah. at the cinema that's interesting isn't it it was a show that I didn't particularly like hmm. but yet I went and saw the spin-off at the cinema yeah because you sort of did no that's fair enough in the sense that I think that bigger, wider story. I mean, maybe, maybe it was just, it felt more grown up. I mean, sometimes the television version can be a little bit caricature yeah. a little bit yeah. silly at times. But actually, those were two quite grown-up movies based, Political based around, yeah, based around, well, the characters that you, you yeah. well, for two-thirds of the characters you knew from the weekly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. For yeah. some reason, they always seem to recast the authority figures for the films, don't they? Yes. Yes, well, we'll come to that as well in a little bit when we talk about one of the films. Absolutely, although actually it works in that because that particular one got well, look, in a bit. In a bit. No, fair enough. So, where do you want to begin a, with the uh, the drama? I've picked five of each type of film. You know, what five dramas. Me because I was then, when you actually suggested doing this, I thought, oh, I haven't got that many, and then it turns out that all five on your list I actually have. <laughs> I didn't have the one that you changed, which is interesting. But that's fine. And but I've only got one of the sitcom ones, so that probably shows more about the sort of stuff I buy than anything. Yeah, really. yeah absolutely. All right. Well, they're not in any particular order. They're not mm-hmm. ranked top to bottom or anything. You like want to that. go alphabetical or anything like that? Well, well let's have a look. What should we do? Um, or that in would release order? Me. Well, all right. Let's do that then. If I can work it out, because I've made my notes as I watched them. Well, I think we, All right, the, the earliest, earliest one I've one. got then is Doctor Who and the Daleks. Yes, that's, that's uh, 1965. So. It is. With and Peter Cushing. With Peter Cushing. What great casting that was. Now, this is made by Aru, mm-hmm. A-R-R-U, which basically was an offshoot of Amicus. Mm-hmm. Milton Sabosky wrote it, uh, the, the, the main man there. And it was directed by Gordon Fleming, who is the father of... Um, Jason Fleming. Yeah, I was about to say Ian Fleming. Yes, <laughs> Jason Fleming, absolutely the actor, but not the father of Ian Fleming. Yeah, it's this will be controversial with my fellow Doctor Who fans, who not because they don't like or recognise or rate the film or whatever, mm. because although perhaps twenty years ago people would say, "Oh no, Peter Cushing doesn't count." Mm. Well, no, he doesn't count as one of the, if you like, canonical. If you like, doctors. Television doctors, if you like. No, because he's a very different character. And and clearly, like a lot of these films, actually, they couldn't have made the film with the current TV cast because they were busy making the TV series. It's based on the second Doctor Who story, which was the Mm -hmm. first Dalek story, the one where they meet the Daleks for the first time. And yes, Peter Cushing as a absolutely wonderful Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. a human inventor. Important to remember, though, at this stage... We didn't know a lot about the Doctor. We didn't know he was an alien. We didn't find out he was an alien on television until 1969, mm. the war games. At this stage, we knew that he came from somewhere yes. in time and space. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know whether he was future Earth or what. He was a, he, yeah. So it's not as big a step away as some people claim no. it is. Although the fact that his name is Who is a bit strange. It's, <laughs> it's, um, Mr. Who PhD, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's an action-adventure comedy, and the comedy is important yeah. as well. They've got Roy Castle in there playing Ian Chesterton. Very, very different Ian Chesterton from William Russell's television one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an Ian Chesterton who trips over and accidentally sets the TARDIS off onto yeah. its travels by hitting a lever. And talking of that lever, the interior design of the TARDIS is, is lovely. It's totally different from mm-hmm. anything we've seen before. It's wires and levers and lights and yeah. everywhere. It's, it, it looks like the inside of a radio set, basically, yeah. an old valve radio set. It's, it's it does, fantastic. Yeah. The Doctor's very different, as we say, and, but Cushing is magnificent in the role. The two companions, well, in the television we've got, uh, the three companions we mentioned Ian the two lady companions in the television we've got Barbara who is Ian's fellow school teacher mm. well she's now one of Doctor Who's grandchildren uh, mm. the elder one played by Jenny Linden and then you've got the utterly brilliant Roberta Tovey as Susan who's played about 10 years younger than she was on television by Carolyn Ford um, oddly enough when you watch a lot of things where they have the super bright young child it can actually be quite irritating and yet she manages not to be annoying in this it's I terrific 
She is utterly terrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's very much Doctor Who's favourite grandchild, as mm. as it were. She's the one who he relates to. She's also a scientific genius. In many ways, he's the child. He's mm. the first thing we see of him. He's sitting there reading the Eagle comic, going most remarkable. Most. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the incredible thing about it is. It condenses seven TV episodes mm. to an 82-minute film mm. and doesn't seem to lose anything. No. Well, there are people who look at sort of William Hartnell who and sort of think, oh, it's slow and it's ponderous and everything like that. And I mean, you get an entire episode just to escape from a room and all that kind of thing. I mean, I think that's part of its charm. And then they catch him again. Yeah, Yeah. that that to me is one of the things that works very well. I like the language storytelling. But actually, when you've got that whole second half of the story, the ordeal, which is about climbing and getting across to break in through the back of the city, and there's like four of them. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but we were talking about uh, Terry Nation a few weeks ago on the show, and one of the interesting things to me is that Terry Nation is a very, very cinematic writer. He writes a lot of scenarios that work very well for cinema, and this kind of shows it off. It takes the best stuff and compacts it, throws away a lot of the stuff that was... Though, of course, he didn't write it. I mean, he wrote the original TV version, Mm. but the film was written by David Whittinger, who was the TV script editor. Uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It boils it down to its essentials. Um, We get the Daleks in colour, as we said, Mm. the Daleks in colour for the first time. Feel the heat of their flamethrowers or whatever, except they weren't. Whereas on the television, you had them doing a sort of a a, a negative effect to, to kill people. On the film, they were going to use flamethrowers. And at a late stage, they were told, no, 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 you can't do that. So they've basically got what looks like CO2 gas. You've got fire extinguishers, which is actually very effective. You've got very, very camp files, even more so than on the TV series, played by Barry Ingham and Yvonne Antrobus and Jeffrey Toons, who later would turn up as the bad guy in the first series of Freewheelers, Jeffrey Toons and was the star of Hammer's Terror of the Tongs. Uh, well, <laughs> he's here as, uh, as the lead they star. They are supposed to be the beautiful people, aren't they? The they are, people. yeah. yeah. I mean, as, as a piece of cinematic design, do you think it works well? I think it looks Alex. absolutely lovely. The, the set, they built a massive big set at Shepparton, I think, and uh, it, it, it works beautifully. It really does. Now, I mentioned this is a, a bit of a controversial choice, possibly with Doctor Who fans, because, of course, there was a second film a couple of years later, Doctor Who and the Daleks Invasion, Earth 2150 AD, and most Doctor Who fans will tell you that's the better film. Mm. Uh, it's got Bernard Cribbins in it instead of Roy Carr, so it, you've got the Doctor's niece, doc, not the Doctor, Doctor Who's niece, Louise, instead of Barbara mm. you've still got Roberta Tovey still brilliant and it's a great film I love it mm. but I just prefer the first one and well, I suppose it's because I saw it in the cinema at the time and, and I think there's it. also certainly with that movie for a long time it was if you wanted to watch Doctor Who again that was how you got to see it before, you know, yes. before videotapes yes. before yes. Um, DVDs and everything basically the one that turned up on Saturday mornings every exactly. half year or so was yeah. as either that or the, the the two Dalek films anyway, and yeah. I think also in a period when they weren't actually being used as much on the television, you know, this was basically fundamental, basic, died in the wall. This is your Doctor Who. This is your yeah. Daleks, and Daleks are fun, aren't they? On the screen, yeah. Daleks are a great draw for you. Was in TV Twenty One comic, mm-hmm. both the big features on this film mm-hmm. and also the ongoing Dalek strip. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because of family reasons, I very rarely saw Doctor Who during the 60s, mm. even though I was around. But mm. I absolutely saw these two films mm. at the cinema and then, of course, later on, on the television in, in the early 70s. But no, I, I still, to this day, absolutely love this. There's a new Blu-ray set just recently mm. come out with it massively <laughs> upset. more money than Sense Brigade. I, yes. I won't, I, well, I'm not going to buy another copy of it, even though it looks absolutely stunning. <laughs> i tell you what but interested you know, me so. was when I saw the restore, I have this restored DVDs. I, I didn't go Blu-ray for it. But what gets me about it is, on certainly in Dalek Invasion of Earth, is you get that backdrop where the UFO is on the ground and you can see the creases in the curtain and I yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things about restoration that gets you is you actually start to see see too much it's too much sometimes <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is a bit of a shame but it's, it's still they are still fun particularly with fun. television when it when it was originally mm. seen on tiny little black and white screens oh. uh, yeah low resolution yeah I mean around the same time you've got 
Thunderbirds Are Go movie, which I very nearly put in my list, mm. which again is a bit of an adaptation of one and a bit TV show. TV well, it's more than uh, just two episodes spliced together to make a movie, isn't it? It's, 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 it's a new film. Done, it, yeah. it is, yeah. And it looks fantastic. And it's got that dreadful Cliff Richard bit in the middle of it, Cliff Richard <laughs> Jr., which counts against it. And I very nearly put that in. But in the end, I just edged it out for something quite surprising. But okay. we'll come to that in a bit. Okay, so then we can go on, I think, to Quatermass and the Pit. Now, we mentioned Quatermass, the two, the know, 250s Quatermass. I always Quatermass like films. to talk about Quatermass. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, of course, this year is the centenary of Nigel Neal, who wrote Quatermass. The 250s films, the, the casting hadn't been great. Mm. Remind me the name of the guy. I've, 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 oh, I've, Brian Donlevy. Brian Donlevy, yes, thank you. Donlevy. Yeah, Brian Donlevy, who played Quatermass in the 250s film, mm. didn't meet with Nigel O'Neill's approval and was, what's the word I'm looking for? Awful. Well, no, no, that's not fair. Yeah, I like, I do. I think fair. a lot of people came to Quatermass through those films and yeah. really, really think he's the best. They, the, the people who, I think yeah. sometimes it's, it's that Doctor Who thing. It's the first one you see is the one that you. But they're wrong, though. They're wrong because he's not the best by any means. No. Um, I like uh, Quatermass Two as a movie. I, I even, I mean, I do quite like uh, Quatermass Experiment as a movie. Yeah. It's yep. uh, because that's really the only way we can experience that first story. But a lot of people's favourite version, again, they're also wrong, is the Quatermass and the Pit movie, which I I, I think is a great film. Yep. I just, I still think the TV version edges it. Oh, it does, without without a question. And the TV version had been 1958, and, mm. and Hammer had been wanting to make this third film for a long time, and it took a long time to sort out how they were mm. going to do it. And, and I'm so glad they didn't make it back in the 50s because almost certainly that it got Don Levy again and, mm. and it wouldn't have been the film it would have been in black and white and it wouldn't have been the film that it mm. turned out to be Andre Morell had played Quatermass in the third TV series and for four reasons each of the 350s TV series had a different actor playing Quatermass mm. and you'd got Don Levy so by the end of the 50s, you'd had four different Quatermasses without any sign of a regeneration. <laughs> uh, so there we are. But we accept that because that's the way, the way it goes. Um, yes, uh, Andre Morel had played Quatermass in the TV version of Quatermass in the Pit. And I think by most people's estimation, he probably is the best. Quatermass. I, I think most people would say that. He was magnificent in it and was a fabulous actor. And for me, when you think of Hammer and the, the leading actors of Hammer, of course you think of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. But for me, um, Andre Morel comes a, a, a close third. Why did they not approach Morel for the film? Um, ah, well, they did. They oh, did. Okay. And, and he, he decided he didn't want to do it, um, which, which is a shame. But there we are. That's Been there, the way done goes. that. Yeah. They've done that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, while we were on Andre Morel, actually, and Peter Cushing, we just mentioned it's worth saying that i've also one of the other categories i've not included here mm. is adaptations of one-off plays mm. because i think that's a different thing as well i think mm. when it's a play that is shown on television mm. and they later make a film of oh, it, things I like don't artemis think, and things like that yeah. exactly that and things like brimstone and treacle mm. the dennis potter one and mm. what made me think of it here was cash on demand oh i thought it was 1984 well, because of cushing and morale as well <laughs> absolutely but Cash on Demand, that, right. uh, that there'd been a, a TV play uh, and Hammer turned into an absolutely magnificent film it with Andre Morello and Peter Cushing. Though, isn't there? There, there, is an, there is so much lost television that was great scripts. Yeah. You actually wonder why they weren't doing more adaptations of those plays for today. Well, thank or... heavens they did what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, thank heavens they did what they did mm-hmm. with things like Cash on Demand, things like The Abominable Abom- Snowman, Snowman yeah, I was say. which was Nigel Neal's The mm-hmm. Creature, uh, again with Peter Cushing. <laughs> uh, he got about a bit old, Pete, didn't he? He, <laughs> he was, he was the, the name to go for, wasn't he? Go for so, so back to Quaid Mass in the Pit, 1967, directed by Rory Wood Baker. The TV series had been over the Christmas of 1958 to 59. Mm. So when people say to me, what's the Doctor Who story that uh, is closest to your birth? I say Quaid Mass in the Pit. Because <laughs> I was born any, not long before. Any possibility that Peter Cushing would have done Quaid Mass in the Pit at any point? Would he have been on anybody's list? 
Because he has Possibly. the same sort of look, doesn't he, really? It, yeah, possibly. I'd not heard that. I mean, you'd have to ask an expert like Toby or Andy Murray about Maybe that. Maybe from him, he was, he was just, it would have been, he was, he was their Doctor Who, so, and maybe they were still trying to get well, a third Doctor Who film off the ground. In 67, or for the film, sorry, I think it meant for the TV, because for the TV, mm. he would have been making films for Hammer at that mm. stage. I just wonder yeah, why, yeah. why, why Andrew it, Kier became the person they went to. Well, Cushing was Sherlock Holmes at that stage as well, of course. Right. Yes. Uh, so perhaps he, not, not I mean, he would have been busy, he would have been busy with all sorts of things, mm-hmm. Hammer and Sherlock Holmes and everything. So you mentioned Andrew Keir, Scottish mm-hmm. actor, fabulous, absolutely superb mm-hmm. Quatermass. Mm-hmm. The only person to play Quatermass twice because he later returned in uh, the Quatermass memoirs on the radio. James Donald as uh, as Roney, uh, mm-hmm. Barbara Shelley being. Brilliantly, Barbara Shelley, as always, mm-hmm. and Julian Glover as Colonel Breen. Uh, yeah, Andrew Murrell wasn't interested. He's astonishing in the original, though, isn't he? It's a really difficult act to follow Anthony Bushell as Breen. Yes, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and, and if Julian anyone Glover, was going to do it, Julian Glover is going to do it. I just think he yeah. looks a little bit young. Well, that, I was going to say, Julian Glover says himself that he felt he was too young to do mm. it. But he does a good job. He, he mm. really does a good job. Well, now, a lot of people, it's their favourite version of Quite much it, a, you know, a lot of people say that is that is the best. That's you know. It was the first colour crater mass, of mm. course. And didn't they use the colour well in, you know, in the you know the final scenes with the shape of the demon mm. above Hobbs Lane there? For those who aren't familiar with it, it's about some building work on the uh, the tube, the London tube, uncovering what appears to be a very very ancient spaceship with the bodies of what are assumed to be insectoid Martians on, on it there. And, and things go from there to the conclusion that we are the Martians. Now, Nigel wrote the first draft of the script in 1961, but it didn't start filming until 67. And again, we've got this condensation thing. We've got six episodes of the TV series condensed to 97 minutes. But again, it works brilliantly it's one of the very best hammers uh, in my estimation many people would say it's it's the best um it's they, certainly one of them. they lose a lot of those little character pieces don't they which is what makes neil's work i think shine. oh yeah that's but, true but it's basically true. you get straight i mean pretty much the first as strangely enough quaid mass experiment the first episode is pretty much condensed to minutes isn't it yeah I yeah, know. but once you actually get to the discovery of the spaceship, it pretty much follows you know the same beats as the the television. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. My my only quibble with the Quaidmas in the Pit is I don't know whether I would actually prefer it in black and white, but that's just me. But I think the recap of the alien hives isn't mm. particularly brilliantly done in the in the Hammer version. It is done very well in the TV version, isn't mm. it? It really well, is. Considering. The way it had to be done in the TV. Yeah, I, I, I just with lots of little cutouts of uh, of uh, Martians being. It, it's actually for me the the TV version. It's those close-ups of the eyes and those yes. those. But they look like smashing pumpkins. To be fair, they actually yeah. look like they're they're, they're breaking. <laughs> you know, that when they get smashed. Whereas there are a little bit things on a stick in parts of the sequences in the film, which is a bit of yes. a shame. But but overall, very well put together movie it, it was it was and images of which get used in other things it used got used as stock footage in quite a few things yes uh, yeah. wasn't it uh, used in the changes wasn't there wasn't the some of the stuff from the end sequence what's it i don't i didn't notice that that's, 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 i think the, oh, the, the bit with the crane you know the crane collapses oh, yeah. mm. I think, mm. I, i'm sure i've seen that in something else which may or may not have been the changes but what brilliant <laughs> Well, let's go on to a less successful film. Oh, okay. Uh, 1972's Doomwatch. Doomwatch. Doomwatch was one of the great science fiction prophetic Mm. series of the early 1970s about the dangers of scientific advance and a group of scientists working for the government Mm. investigating scientific mysteries and problems like mutated rats and and, um, bacteria that could uh, eat plastic, yeah. Plas- and, plastic. There's the plastic eaters, yes. Plastic eaters and and sex and the dangers violence. of <laughs> sex and violence, which was never broadcast. <laughs> with June Brown as a Mary Whitehouse figure in that in that one, and the dangers of sonic booms in another episode. So all sorts of things like that. All sorts of horrible environmental catastrophes, and yet they made a feature film in what, 1972, which is pretty 72? much as the series was coming to an end on television. More. Or yeah, or? yeah, yes. The series ended. And, uh, yeah, there were three series of the. Of the, uh, of the television series and yeah it had finished um, just about then which makes the recasting the fact that, yeah they don't well what got me was because I picked it up fairly recently and had a good old watch of it and it's interesting 
because they go down the same route that the X-Files did later. They try and just tell one story, which mm. isn't particularly cinematic enough or big enough. Oh. And, and like you say, the original cast do feature in it. However, in the pretty much cameos, don't they? Absolutely sidelined. It's, it's yeah, written by Clive Exton, very mm. good writer. Directed by Peter Sasty, who went on to do The Stone Tape and several Hammer films, Minder, he did a lot of as well. He had a great career. It's a film that just doesn't know what it wants to be, because mm. it's, is it an environmental thriller mm. is it a conspiracy film is it a horror film it, it starts <laughs> is, off looking is it the wicker man yes. <laughs> the wicker man you're absolutely right to bring up the wicker man because it, it does have that folk horror vibe about it as well but uh, yeah well i mean what we've got is we've got a remote island mm. where the locals are becoming physically deformed and horribly aggressive mm. and we're introduced to dr del shaw who is ian bannon who was nothing to do with the tv series he's no. the imported star along with judy Geeson as his mm. geeson or Geeson, i can never know was Geeson, a, i think yeah, was he a big star he was starting to become a bit of a right. star, was Ian Bannon by that stage, but he was certainly a bigger star than the John likes of Paul. John Paul and Simon Oates. And uh, although the other name in the film, no, not a bigger star than George Sanders. Um, it, it just surprises me sometimes because the cast of any of these shows, people say they're not a big star, but actually these are audiences of 10, 15 million people. They're probably better known yeah, yeah. sometimes than, yeah. than the that's, supposed film star they bring in. That's a, a very, very good point. Uh, Simon Oates should have been the lead in this. I mm. mean, he was, uh, he and John Paul were the leads in the TV mm. series. And, and it was the uh, kind of mission he could get sent off on, wasn't it? Yeah, the, he, he was somebody who was seriously considered to play Bond at mm. one point. I mean, he was, he was that sort of actor. He was John he Steed, had, wasn't he, on stage? He, he was John Steed on stage, absolutely. He only made two films, uh, mm. this and The Terranauts. Right. And if you've ever seen The Terranauts, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say don't watch it because it is one of the most famously dreadful films ever made and it's hilarious. I'll leave it there. I, it's the one of those films that used to turn up in the school holidays a bit like Moon Zero Two, the same kind of thing. They used oh, to, they much used better film up, Moon Zero Two. But they used much to turn better. up quite often yeah. so yeah. so, so yeah. we were kind of familiar with it and it would always yeah. be on you know yeah oh yeah that right. yeah. So Dr. Del Shaw, the parachuted in Doomwatch expert who everybody knows because he's always been there. He's never ever mentioned before in the series ever. (laughs) Well, he investigates what's going on on this island and find that there's uh, offshore, there's a nuclear waste dump where the Navy have helpfully just dumped some nuclear waste Mm. without saying much about it. Oh, don't worry about that, says George Mm. Sanders. It's only nuclear waste. Uh, Meanwhile, at the same time, uh, a sort of a, a cowboy dumping firm have dumped some uh, some chemicals there as well and the two are mixing together with horrible consequences mm. the fish are eating it the people are eating the fish and and, and things aren't, aren't the deformities nice. i mean the photographs of the people you know the makeup i think mm. they were actually the thing i was most familiar with about this movie it's on the front of the vhs cover yeah. was a, a close-up of, of the deformed well, they always seem to use that in in those books of horror yeah. Uh, yes, you know, they did. But know. that features very little in the film, doesn't yeah. it? It's, it's hardly there. Um, and, and it features at the beginning of the film where they're trying to sell it as a horror. It always makes me think of the underground people in uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and the two seem to be connected in my mind for some strange reason. As we story. said, the TV cast are utterly sidelined. They cut back to their offices mm. so they can run around a lab looking professional and worried in white coats uh, mm. a couple of times. And Simon Oates gets a little bit of action mm. to do. I suppose... If we were a, diving. Real, a real government department, that probably would be your life, actually running around in white coats looking looking concerned and whilst well, yeah, all the fun. But yeah, well, that's not a reason to do no, it, is it? <laughs> no, your audience will have gone, oh, they've made a film of my favourite TV show yeah. starring John Paul and Simon Oates. I'll mm. go and watch that. And then they'll have seen Ian Bannon being someone they've never seen before. I will mention again the name George Sanders, who crops up as an admiral. It's not his final film. I think it's his penultimate film or something like that. It wasn't far from the end of his career and indeed his life. At that stage in his career, he was doing small roles in films like this for the fun of doing them, I think, more than anything. George Sanders sadly took his own life um, not very long afterwards in entirely happy circumstances as far as he was concerned. He'd always planned to, as far as I remember. He'd always planned to. For years and years, he told people that when he felt that he'd done all he could do, he was going to check out, and, and that's what he did. So, of course, cinema's the saint, 
original saint. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. Uh, but most known to most people as the voice of Shere Khan in the Jungle Book. So it's a film that doesn't know what it wants to do. It doesn't mm. know whether it wants to be a horror or environmental thriller. It doesn't know whether it wants to be a, a TV adaptation or not. It's sort of a TV adaptation that pretends it isn't. It's hanging itself on that coat hanger isn't it saying this it falls cool. between many yeah. stools and ends up being covered in stools yeah. uh it's it's not a it's not a satisfactory film at all i'll tell you uh, one thing though one thing that did strike me i think it was when i was watching this that had they decided to cast doctor who as a woman in 1974 do you think mm. judy Gieson would have been in the frame she was a good actor, wasn't she? She, she uh, it's just she was I, a... i've seen lots of things she was in about that time and i just think you know one of the people who I think would have been talked about. Would have been she would have been a very fine leading actor. Mm. And, and would, yeah, absolutely. And of course, her sister was in Bless This House, mm -hmm. which we might mention in passing when we're talking about <laughs> the, the, the comedy. The comedy well. <laughs> right. Okay, let's, let's go a couple of, well, the same year, in fact. We have got Callan. Callan the movie. Callan the movie. Now, I'm a, now, I'm a big fan of Callan. I, I, so am I. One of, one, of my, one of my biggest regrets of the ABC purging is that there's so little of the black and white Callan. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, well, Callan the movie is actually an adaptation of the original armchair theatre. Callan started as an armchair, an armchair theatre episode mm. called uh, A Magnum for Schneider, mm. made in 1967 in black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, Joseph first. Uh, Joseph first played the, the arms dealer, arms trafficker Schneider, mm. who Callan is recalled to service and set to assassinate, to make friends with, mm. to play war games with and then assassinate. Mm. Uh, the movie was made right at the end of the TV series, after mm. the TV series had finished. So uh, Magnus Schneider bookends Callan TV mm. series. So it comes full circle, like. doesn't it? It yeah. does. We've, it, directed by Don Sharp and written by James Mitchell, who wrote... Callan basically reinvented Callan and wrote the original play and all that and was terrific. Do you think We've it got... thinks it's a pilot? It's it's trying to be the start of a series of films at that point because you know it's it's reimagining itself because obviously in terms of the character you wouldn't actually have a character who went back and said you know I did all this seven years ago hold on a minute it's a reimagining it, isn't it? It's a reboot isn't it yeah it's a Callan the origin story or the mm. yeah that, that's right I, th I think they're counting on also the fact that a lot of people would have been very familiar with Callan the TV series, mm. but wouldn't necessarily have remembered that armchair theatre episode, Fair wouldn't point. necessarily have seen it even. And so you're, you are looking back to Callan's origin story mm. where he's fresh out of prison mm. and, uh, and is recalled to work for, what they call the section, they the call section, it. The section, yes. You've got Iwawuwa, of course, as Callan. How could you do anything different at that stage although i will say the big finish version of callan with uh, him out of coupling yes. as callan and uh, and uh, uh, frank skinner as lonely was absolutely mm -hmm. fabulous the brilliant stuff so we've got edward woodward we've got uh, russell hunter as uh, as as lonely you've got all sorts of great people carl Murner takes and over miles. the Sorry, there first. And ben miles. miles thank yeah, you okay. yes. yeah <laughs> An Austrian actor, Karl Murner, takes mm. over from the other Austrian actor, Joseph Furst, mm. as, uh, as Schneider, and mm. does a good job, but it's a very different Schneider. Mm. Uh, this one, this, this Schneider is not going to be going, nothing in the world can stop me now, <laughs> I feel. But in the original TV play, isn't Joseph Furst very likable and very sympathetic a character? I think that comes across, yes. He, yeah, he, he in actually, the performance. You know, it's, I think it's, it's when the, uh, he only is really sure he wants to <clears throat> do what he has to do is when he goes in and finds that case in his, yes. in his wardrobe, which is full of the yes, Nazi uh, yes. gubbins. And, that's and, right, that's right. So but as I was saying, that's, that's Joseph's great performance, mm. that he makes us sympathise with this Nazi arms dealer. He's possibly is, just a quite yeah. affable... Uh, actor as well i mean sometimes yeah. that that does come across it you yeah. know no matter how yeah. sort of awful they're playing they can be quite yeah. somehow you quite like Definitely. them well carmona is perfectly fine mm. although he, he doesn't quite have that that um affability that mm. uh, that, that first did you've got the fabulous Catherine shell as mm. mrs schneider now you've got peter egan yeah. uh turning up as, as toby, toby mears yes toby mears yeah, no, uh, on the television it had been anti-Valentine. Uh, oh, no, Peter I mean, in the original, in, yeah. Peter Bowles in the original play and then yeah. Anthony Valentine in That's the right. series. Now, Valentine not available. Mm. What happened to, um, to uh, our friend uh, 
come on, who normally takes over from Anthony Valentine? <laughs> oh, Patrick Mower. Patrick Mower, yeah. What happened to Patrick Mower? He couldn't have been available as well. So you've got Peter Egan. He was off playing. a special branch, I think, at yeah. this time. <laughs> yeah. And also reprising his role from the uh, they TV actually, series. Did you, you imagine castings throughout that era? All three of them used to turn up. <laughs> yeah. And if two of them weren't available, Egan got it. Or is it? Yeah. Did they also I, walk through a door and they'd see Patrick Mower leaving? Oh, bollocks, I've not got this one. <laughs> You can imagine that. The, the third actor returning from the TV series, Clifford Rose, as uh, Dr. Snell. Yes. Uh, the recently deceased Clifford Rose, uh, later very famous for uh, Kessler. Uh, Kessler in, in Secret Army, absolutely, and in Kessler. Very closely based on the, the script of the, mm. the, the Armchair Theatre, which itself was a, uh, an adaptation of a novel, mm. uh, Magnum for Snyder. So it, it goes back to a, to a novel. Uh, Callan's recorded service mm. by Hunter. Oh, yes, Hunter. Let's mention Hunter because mm. we spoke about changing the authority figure. Mm. I think that's perfectly reasonable here. I mean, in the original play and then in the TV series at the start, you've got the brilliant Ronald Rad. Mm. But then it went through a succession of different uh, hunters, didn't mm. it, on television? Yeah. So, so it was. It wasn't a person, was it? It was a. Mm. It was a job. The job was being a hunter. And, mm. and at one point, Callan himself was hunter, wasn't he? For was a short it? period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this time we have got Eric Porter, mm-hmm. hugely famous for being Soames Forsyth in the first. And indeed, Moriarty later on in the Granada Sherlock Holmes. In the Granada Sherlock Holmes, absolutely. Very good at sinister and. And underst- yes. understatedly so, you know, very quiet, very still, and very menacing. I think that, that works very well for Hunter. Absolutely, and and for anybody who hasn't ever seen Callan, then Callan is an assassin. He's mm. a very, very, very good assassin, uh, and he's the man who they call upon to just quietly bump people off. Mm. And this time he's set to without to, asking too many questions. Without, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if they're he's in set, if they're in a red file, they deserve to be got rid of. Apparently, yes. Yes. He's set to assassinate uh, Schneider, who uh, is a German businessman, and uh, he's promised that he's got his job back on the section if he's Mm. successful with it. He befriends Schneider through their shared love of war games Mm. and sets his plans to kill him. Meanwhile, Hunter has set Toby Mears up to shadow him on the job Mm. and indeed to set him up and frame him from the murder so he he gets caught Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway if necessary and the film ends with uh, Hunter transferring Callan's file into Mm. a red file Mm. so we know that the the threat of him being wiped out is Mm. hanging over him as it was throughout the whole TV series Mm. Um, oddly enough they didn't wipe him out when he assassinated Hunter at one point in the TV series again it's 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 kind of peculiar uh the the actual trajectory because obviously you know that if your name's on the t- titles unless you're actually blake in blake seven you're likely to be there right at the end of it you know it's it's uh, target target yes well <laughs> apart from target but generally speaking yeah. unless yeah. you actually sort of don't survive it, it is kind of fascinating that the reasons that sometimes scriptwriters go through for not bumping off your main characters are kind of uh, kind of interesting. I think the the most exciting thing for me about the Callan movie is the fact that they it, it is so similar to the play, but then they have to throw in some action. So you get that all that driving around in Range Rovers for about ten yeah. minutes just to make yeah. it more cinematic, really, and, and it kind of it sometimes loses a little bit of the intimacy of the um, the armchair theater that yes. this, the beauty of armchair theater is you really have got these acting performances in this very very few sets and to actually open it up sometimes is this the one or am i remembering a wrong one is this the one where dave prowse is a is a villain or is that is that one of the sweeney films oh oh yes 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 mm. um yeah with the greek guy mm. Yeah, who is the guy who provides uh, Lonely with the gun for mm. Callan, the Greek yeah. guy. Clearly supposed to be a very camp mm. Greek guy. Mm. And he's protected by uh, Dave, Dave Prowse, mm. who Callan then kills sort of accidentally. Uh, yeah. Sorry. He's about, about a foot taller than him, but, you know, yeah. bigger than that. Are, which, which tells us how how good a, uh, an assassin Callan is. I mean, that's what that's for, to, mm. to show us that he really knows his business. But it does open up the story into a few more sets and yeah. a few more scenarios, yeah. but it generally does. speaking, it it's does. fundamentally the same. 
It does. Um, I love this film. I think it's tremendous. So it's, I don't love it as much as I love the TV series. But mm. again, it goes back to these films are almost always disappointing. I don't think this is disappointing, <laughs> but I think it's not as good as the TV series. Well, it's also the version of Callan that you would have got to see when Callan become a bit of a legendary television series. Yes. Um, yes. And no one was ever showing it again. Yeah. And the film would pop up on Channel 4 or something. Absolutely. And Edward Wood is absolutely fantastic. He's, he's an absolutely magnetic screen presence. He did go on to do films. Breaking Marath. Yeah, Breaking Marath. Yeah, but somehow he 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 never quite perhaps had the had the, the the film career that he should have had. He went on to be the Equalizer, of course, on American telly very successfully. But here is the absolute epitome of the unglamorous spy, you know, in the mode of uh, in the in the oh, mode yeah. of uh, Harry Palmer, yes, of Mike McCain. Um, but we well, actually he's feel super. that it, the sleazy, dark underbelly of of what these these departments do it, it's always been probably a more honest portrayal than than the, the stupidly glamorous sort of James sure. Bond style sure sure all right well the final but talking film. oh yes glamorous acting glamorous, <laughs> glamorous acting. agents yeah <laughs> now this is this might surprise some people um i've we leave the 70s now and we'll mm. come forward 20 years, 25 years, a bit more, to The Avengers, uh, 1998. Yes. Now, is it a British film? Well, sort of. It's British made. It's British mm. stars mostly. Mm. And uh, it's, you, I think. Yeah, it's filmed, absolutely filmed in Britain with British technicians and all mm. the rest of it. But of course, it's made uh, with American money and American mm. director and so on. Uh, based on uh, the Avengers 1960 to 1969, the, the British TV series. So for me, it absolutely qualifies. Does it qualify for being any good? <laughs> oh, you know what? Yes. Um, I'd re- I realised I'd only ever seen this film once before. Mm. Um, and that was when it came out at the cinema in 1998. And we mm. were on holiday in France. Ah. So I didn't see the Avengers. I saw Chapeau Moulin et Bottes de Queer. Ah. The event has always been very, very popular in France. Mm. Uh, yeah, I saw it dubbed into French mm. in a cinema in France in 1998, and I don't think I'd ever seen it. I've ever seen it since until recently. I enjoyed it at the time, mm. but of course, the backlash to it was yeah. so very, very strong. It's a bit it, of it's... an art house action movie. It's visually, there's a lot of stunningly. Yeah, visuals in it. There are, there are some problems. There are some problems. It's a bit all over the place, but it, it's it was part of a bit of a, a resurgence in TV properties being turned into mm. films in the late 1990s. We'd got the previous year there was The Saint, yeah, Ooh, but that was clearly an American film with an American star. <laughs> <laughs> and a very bad film, Val Kilmer. Nothing at all to do with uh, the Roger Moore series, although Roger Moore appears in it mm. as a voice at the end of a phone. And exactly, does doesn't he? Produces it, I think. Yeah, it? absolutely. So, so Roger Moore had something to do with it, but the Roger Moore series of the Saint, not at all. We'd also had Lost in Space, mm. the one with Joey from Friends, mm. uh, which which is not a bad film at all. No. Um, it's it's a better film than it had every any right to be at all. And around Mission about the same time, started off as well back in '96 was Mission. So it's uh, Mission Impossible. So, oh, of course, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, so absolutely. That, it, there was a definite trend towards. That was almost when the recycling trend really got going, wasn't it? You know, for for old telly. But I think the Avengers is the only one of these really that I would lay claim to be uh, a British film, mm. uh, as well as an American film. Mm. It's registered as a US film, mm. uh, but there we go. Rotten Tomatoes has called this film an ineptly written, woefully miscast, a disaster. Mm. There was a quote in the Birmingham Post, the worst film ever made. Mm. It should have been distributed by Bernard Matthews. <laughs> people remember was the turkey tycoon. Oh. All right. Well, a lot of the, a lot no. of the criticism of it has centered on the casting. Mm. Uh, you've got Ray Fiennes as mm. John Steed and Uma Thurman as Emma Peel. Both you've quality got, actors, you know. It's fine actors. Yeah. You've got Sean Connery as the baddie, Sir Augusta mm-hmm. Winter. You've got Jim Broadbent as mother and mm-hmm. Fiona Shaw as father. Eddie Izzard turns up as a henchman. Mm. And then there is, as an invisible scientist, somebody called Patrick McNee, <laughs> which was it, lovely. It is a bit of a mishmash of all of the late second half of the 60s Avengers, isn't it? It's, it it's is. It's a bit of this, it a bit of that. It's, it's cherry-picked. I mean, that whole it thing is. about... 
There's an episode called Mr. Teddy Bear, so you get a lot of characters mm. dressed up as huge teddy bears. But, and, and that's uh, an Alma Blackman episode. Indeed, that goes, yes. goes, goes way back. Yeah, it's, but that scene works beautifully, I, mm. I think. Look, let's, let's deal with the casting. Mm. Um, I don't think Ralph Fiennes is right as Steed. Uh, he's a good actor. He does, he does what he's asked to do, but he hasn't got the charm of Steed. I think that's an interesting thing. I've, I've said this before about Patrick Whitney makes it look effortless, and yet yes. somehow whatever it is he does, it works incredibly well in yes. the Avengers. Yes, and it's very, yes. very difficult to imitate. The interesting thing to me is since Ralph Fiennes has turned up in some of the Bond films later on, yeah, he yeah. actually, I think he's, pl- he's that's how he would have played Steed if he'd been allowed to. Yeah, I, yeah I'd heard, I heard you say that recently on the, on the show. Um, Uma Thurman, on the other hand, I think is great as Emma Peel. Mm. I think she's, she's perfectly fine, even though she's an American, of course, mm. but she manages to do the accent. She, in this, Emma Peel is a weather scientist, which is mm. quite, um, quite convenient. Sean Connery as Sir Augusta Winter, the bad guy, is great. I mean, I, I, look, it's Sean Connery. Of course, he's great. And Jim Broadbent as mother, mm. born to play the role. Absolutely mm. fabulous. Mm. Fiona Shaw, who we now know from Killing Eve and so mm. on, is uh, another baddie, father. Mm. Um, so a cast that absolutely do what they're, they're asked to do. The problem is, it's the studio. They utterly hacked it to pieces. Um, mm. It was cut down from 115 to 89 minutes before mm. release, which means that the plot just doesn't always make sense. Mm. You've got Sir August de Winter doing his weather control mm. uh, tactics, and then you've got, as, as you mentioned, this teddy bear scene mm. thrown in there for no mm. good reason. I mean, it looks great, and it's very, very Avengers to have all the baddies dressed as teddy bears, multicolored teddy bears, sitting around a table. And there are those bees um, as well, aren't there? Those mechanical bees, which... Uh, yeah, again, again go, there's nowhere. Well put together as an effect sequence, but it just kind of, the whole thing just doesn't quite hold together for some design. Has there ever been any talk of releasing the full 150? Yes, yes, yes. Jeremiah Chechnik, the director, has offered to recut it for free so it can be re-released. And the studio have said, no, you're all right, don't worry. We've lost money... Yeah, they don't, there's no interest in from the studio in doing that. There's the Mrs. Peel cloning um, mm. subplot as well, which apparently is a major feature of mm. the stuff that was cut. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's there, Mrs. Peel is a bad guy, then she's a good guy, and then she's a clone, and mm. it's never really explained what's happening there. Do you um, think that some of the writers got a little bit confused with Get Smart as well? Because there's kind of a few things that... Uh, another film that they remade, didn't they? Yeah. With with um, Steve Martin again. Uh, it's just that, that there are certain elements of it that, that people, you know, like the phone box sequence, which was actually mm. something that was more Get yeah. Smart than the Avengers. But yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's a good point. It, it presents Steed and Mrs. Peel's first meeting. Well, mm. the TV series absolutely avoided doing that. Indeed. She was just there. And I think that was a shame. Mm. And then they introduced the Steed and Mrs. Peel romance, which mm. again, I think Brian Clemens, uh, who created Mrs. Mm. Peel and so on for the TV series, said that the idea was that they had once had this passionate affair, but they were mm. long ago over that. Mm. And that worked perfectly on the television. It mm. just doesn't work in, it's not credible in the, in the film at all. There's some lovely reviews of the black and white Diner Rig series, which just sort of say, you know, there's a, a scene where they're coming back from a party at four in the morning or something like that. And it just says that is their relationship that, you know, they're walking along the street and they are just, they're absolutely the best, you know, yeah. they, they absolutely understand each other, but there's no, there's no other stuff going on. And I think to a certain extent that works incredibly well. And it's sometimes a mistake that a lot of series make. They, why, you know, the obsession with, with basically people sort of bumping uglies is a kind of, it's a kind of thing that destroys more television shows yeah. than anything else. Really. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But for me, actually, the biggest, the, the single thing, apart from the re-editing it, that would have saved this film for me is the music. Mm. Um, th- there is a hint of the Avengers theme, the, the mm. Laurie Johnson uh, version of the Avengers mm. theme during the opening credits. <sighs> but 
the incidental music, the soundtrack, mm. is just so not Avengers. I mean, it's mm. a very, very distinctive use of music in the mm. Avengers. The, 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 this is a sort of generic action movie. Generic stuff. action movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've <sighs> rattled through our first hour there, Steve. So uh, we've, okay. we've covered the drama, and I think we've rehabilitated the Avengers to a certain extent. One last thing I want to say about the Avengers. I enjoyed Absolutely. it far much more this time seeing it than I yeah. had done before. Really enjoyed watching it. Uh, and yeah, I took it what, down off the shelf a couple of years ago and thought, yeah, actually, uh, I prefer it now. You know, the, the thing about it, I hated it in 1998 as an mm. Avengers film. Mm. Now I enjoy it as a, a fun film. And I love the fact that uh, 29 years after the TV show ended, that they made a film of the Avengers, mm. that it's still is there in the public consciousness or was that they felt they could do that. I love that. And it's also very difficult now because there's so much of that other Avengers about that actually uh, to, yeah. to point people at it is very difficult. But, uh, but yeah. It is. So, well, thank you for looking at the dramas this week. We will have you back fairly soon. Fairly and we, soon. Will, we will look at the sitcoms that have been turned. Looking different. forward to that, Martin. Okay, so I'll speak to you soon. You take care. Cheers, Martin. Bye. Many thanks to Steve Hatcher for taking some time out of his very busy schedule and joining me today to skip daintily around the edges of those movie adaptations of television dramas, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Steve will be back in a few weeks to take a similar journey around the big screen cinema adaptations of a handful of British sitcoms, so I hope you're already looking forward to that. In the meanwhile, there's just about enough time for me to thank those marvellous folks at Fab Radio International for showing us the way with their torches and ushering another show out into the big wide world, and of course, thanks to all of you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin, and this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now, and take care. Mm